This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 3, Episode 12. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I always, I'm still getting used to the new script. I forgot to mention, it is the Concealed Carry Podcast brought to you by Excess Sites. See, we, didn't, we, we added that little ditty like a month or two, or maybe it's been three ago now. <laughs> anyway, title sponsor, Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, August 18th, 2021, and I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by special guest, guest co-host even, we'll call him, Brian Eastridge. Hey, buddy. Hey, how's it going? Going great. I, I self muted there for a minute. So. Oh, that's that that's that's great. See, he's, he's so trained up as podcast host of his own podcast, uh, the Off Duty On Duty podcast. He knows how to how to work the mic setup. <laughs> so, guys, today is a special episode. I'm happy to have Brian on as a guest. Uh, we're going to be talking about the title of this episode: Subsecond Draws and Your Priorities. A topic that's been kind of heated in recent days online. I've seen a number of uh, conversations and posts and forums and things discussing the whole idea of chasing that sec- sub-second draw. So uh, Brian's been involved in some of those conversations. So I thought, hey, let's have Brian on. Let's let's give it a whirl. Let's talk it over. But first, before we get into our topic today, I want to mention that our sponsors today are first. Brian's very own EDC belt company, Foundation Belt. We can't have him on the podcast and not have the Foundation Belt be sponsoring the, the show. And of course, uh, we're proud dealers of the Foundation Belt at concealedcarry.com. In fact, the short link, if you want, if you care, you can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash foundation. I'll take you right to the product page. And uh, yeah, so super uh, excited to have Brian on again, as always. And I'm a proud wearer and I'd say representative, I guess, of the foundation belt. I've been wearing it for, I don't even know how long now, Brian, but since you sent me one, I haven't looked back. Yeah, that was, uh, that's been well over a year ago. And Over uh, a year, easy. I was thinking, it's. I think we're probably more in the two-year ballpark at this point. Yeah. I, and I, Yeah. So and I would, it, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and it's not a solo endeavor. So big, uh, big shout out to David and Kristen. Um, I was over there at the shop today doing some work. And uh, if you're wearing, if you've worn, or if you've purchased one in the last year, uh, Miss Kristen or Mrs. Kristen has uh, has personally sewn that. So uh, she does fabulous work. I used to, I, I make the joke now that you know I always get seconds. Because, you know, if we can't sell it, then I just, I'll get a new belt. I'll grab a second. Well, she's so good at it now that I never get sample seconds anymore, you know, or, right. you know, or, you know, I'd have a vendor or somebody to call me and say, Hey, I'd like to get a sample just to see what this is all about. And I'd go, okay, well, I'm going to send you a second. Don't sell it. Don't display it. Just, it wears fine. It's got a bad stitch or something. <laughs> I don't get those anymore. So yeah, awesome. oh, it's a good, good problem. And I, I've got some older belts. And I think I have a, I, I, I believe I have one of the since Mrs. Kristen made belts as well. Uh, 
and uh, but you know what everything i have has been really solid and they're high quality belts i was using a, a belt of a similar design from another manufacturer uh, prior to getting one of yours and i mean what yours does better than the others that are out there that are similar and that's the thing people might look at these and go well i've seen this one i've seen that one and i've seen this foundation one and maybe this one over here is you know a couple dollars cheaper or whatever and, and i just want to tell you that they are they're not only made well in your shop in oklahoma but it's just a better design period because it's stiff where you need it and not stiff where you don't need it that's what I always say. That's like my, my own personal little slogan. It's stiff where you need it and not where you don't. Yes. Uh, because it, it doesn't, your, your belt doesn't need to be stiff across your back. Unless you're carrying smaller back, which if you are, repent. Just, just stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Uh. But, but, you know, otherwise, like you need stiffness where, you know, over the primary portion of the body where you're carrying your gear. Uh, so having that, that more flexible section across the small of my back, much more improved in comfort. Uh, the belt just wants to conform to my body better. You know, keep in mind when you have a belt that's of uniform thickness and stiffness throughout it that, uh, you know, you're trying to stuff an oval-shaped body inside something that wants to be a circle. And uh, so just, just that paints a little picture and kind of helps you understand that that's where you create some, some kind of pinch points. Not necessarily pinching, but that's kind of what they feel like in some of the corners of your body because you're trying to make that round belt that's stiff go around your oval shaped body or bean shaped body so anyway just don't want to go too uh too deep into it but uh, guys appreciate foundation belt EC belt company brian here being with us and, and uh, being a sponsor of today's show also today's episode brought to you by the 2021 guardian conference uh, jacob and i just did a whole episode talking about it a few episodes ago so i'm not going to try to be long-winded about this either but other than you know if you enjoy the content the things we talk about here today uh if you like and appreciate brian brian's teaching there brian's doing a skill builder 50 course uh, uh you know where you basically are going to myth bust the, the fundamentals of shooting and, and you and i have shared a lot of conversations about some of those things and and think very similarly about a lot of those uh, a lot of those topics so some which some of which we're going to kind of today's topic kind of borderlines on that as well so uh anyway point is you're gonna be teaching there doing a great class i know people are going to benefit from going through that class so come check out brian eastridge come check out our the whole rest of our staff amazing world-class instructors at the guardian conference 2021 uh, about a month away a little bit more than a month so we're, we're getting down there i mean there's still time to get in we still do have tickets available uh so you know it's feasible that we could be sold out at some point. I don't know if we're going to hit that point, but but we're getting really like we're I'm super excited that we have as many people attending as we do. So um, plus you, you're getting within that window where if you're not already coming, you might want to commit now because, you know, if you got to buy a plane ticket or make other travel arrangements, you're, you're kind of hitting that point where you need to do so. So anyway, guys, uh, go to guardianconference.com to learn about the conference and get signed up. Hope to see you there. Could be a great weekend of training. And unfortunately, my spare bedroom's spoken for. So if you're looking for a place to stay, sorry. Oh, dang, I thought that's where I was staying. <laughs> <laughs> it's only it's it's a full size, and I got a I you know Michael's coming in. So uh, oh okay, we 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 could share. We can make it full work. 
I got a, I got a bed, I got a couch, you know, so <laughs> office couch over here. <laughs> well, let's get into it, Brian. Uh, so, you know, the, again, today's topic inspired somewhat by recent events. Um, there's been a lot of talk about sub-second draws and the prioritization of resources and skills, which is a worthwhile conversation to have. And in fact, not too long ago, Jacob and I, I think it was, I think it was the two of us. It could have been Matthew, but I'm pretty sure it was me and Jacob. We did a whole episode talking about skills that were, I don't remember the exact title, but it was like skills that are more important than, you know, like being able to reload or something that, or carrying a spare mag. That's what it was. It was less about the skill side. It's more about things that you should be carrying or doing besides carrying a spare mag. Uh, And so uh, this is an episode probably of a similar vein. and so I kind of want to ask you, Brian, I mean, where did this in your mind, this recent kerfuffle of sorts, internet kerfuffle, get kicked off for you? I mean, I, I've participated in so many online conversations about it recently, I kind of forget where it all started. I mean, there's not like one hard start point, but it does seem like there's been this uptick in people discussing it. Yeah, and and I take full responsibility for that. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, and honestly, I, I reached this point where I'm, you know, I mean, I'm tuned into the social media stuff and I'm having this dinner with some of the, uh, you know, some of my like peers, mentors, and we're sitting around the dinner table and I'm going to throw him under the bus now because he gave me permission to, uh, but my, my brother from another mother, Daryl bulky. At, who is notorious for throwing out a golden nugget that just has a ring to it. You know, <laughs> we, I was like, you know, I don't get this obsession with, and and it seems to go hand in hand with the, you know, the red dot carrying thing. And it's like this whole sub second draw to first shot. Like, like that's some kind of barometer for like exceptional performance at six feet or something. I, and I'm like, okay, it's a cool execute. It's a great execution of, of technical skills. It's awesome. And he goes, yeah, but show me a guy that's got a consistent sub second draw. I'll show you a guy that should have spent a lot more time working on something else. Mm-hmm. And I went, I'm going to write that down, dude. <laughs> and he goes, permeate it to the internet and make them mad. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> and I talked to him later and he's like, yeah, I'll take credit for it. So, you know, I posted that up anonymously and like an hour later, my phone, people that I have met one time in my life that we've, you know, we have this virtual like acquaintanceship are like, Hey dude, uh, we need to talk. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, like, what was that about? And as I started to kind of explore it and I'm like, Hey, look, that's, that's fine. But I don't, I think we're we're just putting entirely too much emphasis on something that is a complete anomaly, you know what I mean? And, and so I started looking at it from the competition side, right? I was like, well, okay, let me look at it from that aspect. Steel challenge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You need it, right? Or you're not even competitive anymore. Because every string you have four draws. So Mm -hmm. if you're a one second draw and steel challenge, that's four seconds. Of your four four runs in that stage. Yeah. If you can shave off even a tenth, Mm -hmm. that might be just enough to to win a match or win a championship even. Yeah. And 
and I, so I'm like, okay, there's a, there's a really good place for it there. Um, yep. okay. Let's talk, uh, USPSA. What it like 99% of the stages that I see, and I haven't shot in quite some, I think the last match I shot was two, three years ago, uh, USPSA. Mm-hmm. And it was like, start here, move to that shooting box. And that's where you're going to start shooting. And I went, so the draw doesn't really have a bearing on that other than it needs to be there when I get to where I'm going to shoot. So I said, eh, okay. You know, and I mean, there's some skills exercises, some standards courses that it really plays a benefit in. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, so I can, I can see, I can see the emphasis and effort in that. And then I, I kind of, I go, okay, PPC, I never, I never needed it. You know, get the gun up within about us, you know, one and a half, two seconds, get it anchored and start shooting. Well, all right. Um, is it, do I need to have it under a second? And then I go, okay, concealment. If I'm going to carry this gun in the real world out here amongst the, you know, in, in the constitutional United States, um, does it behoove me to be able to have a draw to first shot in a sub in under a second? And I'm like, okay, so let me look at the scenarios where this could play out. Bad guys looking away from me and I need to get the gun in expeditiously. Well, I'm carrying a handgun. The most predictable outcome in bullet performance is we have no idea how it's going to perform out of a handgun. We just don't. Yep. We have measurements, but realistically no we we can't predict that that that's going to be an instant fight stopper it might be the determinant factor in the overall outcome at some point so i go well it's not real critical there person's drawn down on me give me your wallet you know and giving me a barrage of profanity and i look at it from that aspect and i go um that's scary right i mean that that's a pretty scary situation um you know, looking down the muzzle of somebody's gun or, or worse. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that the time to try to bring the pistol into play? And even doing that, can we guarantee that we're going to get a showstopper right out of the gate? And is there more probability that under that degree of fear? And, and I had this other, this conversation with another friend of mine last night, I said, have you ever been scared? And he's like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, no, I mean like, scared like on the verge of in the red panic Have you ever experienced that hmm. and he's like oh and i'm like what's you know what's your biggest fear oh i'm afraid of heights and i'm like okay imagine you're hanging on the side of the building by one hand and you're screaming for help and that's the level of terror you're going to be in and you are going to have the mechanical aptitude to pull all this together in that moment probably not you know, the best major league baseball players all have something in common. They all strike out pretty regularly, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like in that situation, the the wheels are probably going to come off. They're 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 not going to stay attached to the car. If they do, you're miraculous, you're a hero, and we're probably going to have drills named after you and all kinds of stuff, right? So I'm like, so the practical a- applicability there is maybe not there. Um, and then on the, the other side of that, I look at the other side of that coin and I go, what if this person, you know, with in these gunfight videos and stuff that we're seeing all over the interwebs now, we're not taking into account that we have no idea what that person's background with a handgun is, right? 
So how do we not know that that person goes, okay, it's game on. And I know because I've had X amount of hours training that I can pull a sub-second draw to first shot. How do we know that's not what got them inspired to introduce the gun into the situation and ultimately get killed? We don't. I mean, that's just, that's a variable we can't account for. So I go in the practical realm of shooting. I don't see that we need to put such the emphasis on it. I mean, I just gave like five scenarios, right? And five different, uh, different applications and a couple of different like force on force applications. And it's like, okay, what's the penalty if the wheels come off in a USPSA match? Uh, maybe I, maybe I second or third or 10th or whatever, mm-hmm. or a steel challenge. But what's the penalty if the wheels come off in real life? I shoot somebody that doesn't need to be shot. I launch my gun towards the bad guy. I fumble. I get caught up in my clothes and I ultimately get shot, right? Or get killed. Or maybe that's the one thing that now inspires bad guy to go, I've got to kill him now instead of rob him. Mm-hmm. Instead of maybe this surreptitious draw or his spalding and some of the other guys call it. So I look at that and I go, so what, what would be a better usage of time? Thinking through these scenarios or trying to master a mechanical technique. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it so that was <laughs> Yeah. And I got a lot more wordy. I kind of like compressed all this into one thing that has been kind of dribbled out over the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm not telling you don't do that. Don't have that skill. I'm just saying, compress it into the thinking portion. Mm -hmm. And it will pay off way more than just the mechanical application of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I do want to uh, explore that a bunch more in today's episode. Yeah. Because, because that is, I mean, what you're touching on there is, is huge for all of us concealed carriers listening to mm-hmm. uh, this podcast. Uh, but first, I, I do want to ask if you don't mind me kind of diving off into this part of this discussion first, and it has to do with the let's just call it the standards, if you will, or the standard. And so, what I mean by that is. I don't think we can answer the question of how fast is fast enough, right? Because that's dependent on so many variables and factors. Uh, but if we were to, and, and this, this, this discussion has, or this very thing has come up in this conversation recently in that, and it is the idea of, well, at what point do we go, Oh, you know, I probably can focus my time and effort and resources elsewhere you know I, I don't need to be pursuing going you know faster than this I, I'm probably where I need to be for now what is that time standard if we can put it into that context I, I've heard some numbers thrown out and I I, I think I know about where that would be and, and kind of how you would respond but I'd like to hear how you'd address that if you can if you can 100% of the time hit a second and a half draw to first shot. I'm like, I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I see way. I see that that is in the realm of human function that is not holster dependent. Um, it's not age dexterity dependent, mm-hmm. right? 
it's it's doable in the normal earth people realm Mm -hmm. um those of us that train pretty frequently you know i live right around a second and a quarter at a hundred percent that means every single time that gun comes out of the holster but i live in that range inside of 10 yards beyond 10 yards the draw to first shot slows down substantially Mm -hmm. all the way back to 25 Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's not the draw portion that slows down. It's the first shot portion mm-hmm. because we have way more decision. Greater, greater refinement of sights for one, just looking mm-hmm. at the mechanics of shooting a pistol to, to continue though, with you were saying something about decisions. Yeah. Uh, there's more decision time there. Uh, and what I mean by decision time is I, I couple that I need to refine the sights. Well, that's decision time. Mm-hmm. That is, I have to be precise with this, more precise. I have to see more information at distance than I do yeah. in close. Um, you know, if your target is four times bigger than your sights, you don't need a whole lot of information to hit that, right? Mm-hmm. But if your target is one quarter the size of your sights, you now have to really refine that, which takes time. And, you know, that's one thing I think that, for the people that accuse me of being anti red dot, that is one thing that the red dot has over iron sights period. There is no question about it is that at distance, I can make that decision faster because I have a perfect sight picture every single time, right? There's no, Oh, it's a little, Oh, okay. I've got to square it up and get a little more crisp on the front sight. So, I mean, you, it's point and click, right? It's, it's Nintendo generation, right? But, uh, <laughs> But yeah, so I kind of look at that one and a half is just kind of the, like, that's just a really good standard. And when I came in to shooting, it was all about a sub two second draw. I mean, wrap your mind around that. Like 175 was awesome. And, uh, you know, as people quit carrying leather holsters and started going to this newfangled plastic that doesn't collapse on the gun and um, people started shooting striker fired guns as opposed to uh like 1911s i mean let's just face it there that was the prevalent gun when i got into shooting thanks you thank thank you clinton assault weapons ban right Mm -hmm. everybody was like well i can't carry 17 rounds of nine let's shove an eight round you know 47d in my uh whatever and and get after it well um so those times kind of really fluctuated but, but yeah, everybody's like, yeah, if you can get it, if you can get on target in under two seconds, you're doing something from concealment. And now we know, well, I, I, that was a little generous, but for the era, it was pretty applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of look at like, once I've hit, if I, if I can hit a hundred percent at a second and a half, that's better than hitting 80% at sub second because Murphy's law is that the 20% time is going to happen when you need to do it. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Like, yep. It, it, you, but we, we practice that, you know, that refinement process to where we can, yeah, okay. We can achieve a sub second draw, but when it's go time, do we want to risk the, the wheels are going to come off of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So, and that's the number I thought you'd throw out. And that's a number that's been used for some time now, I would say, in mm-hmm. the industry. 
amongst a number of trainers, including well-known trainers that, uh, you know, kind of use that 1.5 second uh, standard. Uh, Dave Spaulding does, you know, his, uh, what is it, his two by two drill, or, or I think that's what it's called. Uh, that's his seven yard drill on a three by five card. Uh, and, and the goal is to get two hits on it in less than two seconds. And so that, again, kind of puts you in that 1.5 second realm, get that first shot off and half a second to the eternity to mm-hmm. you know, get a second shot on, on a three by five card at that distance. So, uh, and, and again, there's other examples uh, in, in a few other instructors standards and drills and things they do in classes that kind of reinforce that uh, 1.5 second uh, par time, if you will. Mm-hmm. So like you, I, I, I agree with all of that, that you said um, as far as, yeah, like a 100% success rate at 1.5 seconds is better than an 80% success rate at 0.99 seconds. Uh and, and I would say this much, just to give, just to put myself out there as an example, which I'm willing to do, that, you know, I, I'm definitely capable of sub, sub-second shots on target. Uh, in fact, I would say at seven yards on a USPSA A zone, I could probably do it 90, 90 to 95% of the time, or at least be like half an inch at the most out, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. like I'm, I'm, it's right there. So it's not quite a hundred percent performance every single time at seven yards on a zone, but it's really, really close. So what, but, but what I've recognized to myself is when I'm trying to achieve something that requires 100% performance, then I back that, like I just naturally intuitively back that off a little bit. And I'm somewhere in the, 1.15 to 1.25 range and that yeah. is 100 percent, like all day long like that yeah like it's like i'm asleep at the wheel you know that it feels like it's yeah you know so um you know 1.5 seconds i i've demonstrated that for students sometimes as a as a demonstration like hey you know this this is like cause i actually like to do that I, that's something i stole from J- scott jelinski and that's something i really like how he does it and how he teaches in his classes is is he'll demonstrate what he'll call uh, the, I think he calls it the national standard. And then he has what he calls his class standard. And then he has his black belt standard. And so mm-hmm. it's sort of like, here's where there's some national consensus that you should, probably should be with this skill. Then here's what I, where I really want you to try to be after, you know, in my class or by the time you finish my class. And then here's my top tier GM level performance black belt standard. Right. Mm-hmm. And he demonstrates those different standards and shows, hey, this is what two seconds or 1.75 getting a shot on target is like. Draw, bang, you know. And it, I mean, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but I, I, I've kind of stolen that from him because I, I I like that because it shows. I think there, there's some really good lessons that can be learned when you demonstrate things at a little bit slower pace, yeah, um, than when you're doing it at max speed all the time, right? And so I, and I've always tried to like do something kind of in the middle. But mm-hmm. now I've sort of gotten to where I will show the slow standard and then I'll, I'll show kind of a medium standard and, a, and then a fast, you know, like here's the top standard kind of thing. And what I like about it is the student can see, hey, this is very doable and it, you're going to see it feels like an eternity. And here's where most of you probably are going to be at. And then here's what like really going is like. And mm-hmm. it just kind of, I think it, as I went through his class, 
it sort of created this context as a student. I'm like, oh, like it just made a lot of things click. It also gives you opportunities as an instructor to show things like you talked about how your draw speed at seven yards versus 25 yards should remain the same. It's the shot that you take that that should be slower. Uh, and, and that's something I've taught for a long time that, hey, you know, whether I'm uh, going, you know, uh, whether I'm shooting three yards or, or 50 yards, my draw is is always pretty much the, the same level speed, or at least it'll appear to be such. Demonstrating things slowly and then demonstrating them at max speed, I'll, dem- I'll intentionally demonstrate that way where it's like, what could you tell me about my draw speed when I was shooting this two second standard? Oh, it was the same as when you were going max speed. Mm, do you see how much time that gave me to make a mm-hmm. really good shot? Click, 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 right. click. Light right. bulbs going off. Like, oh. Anyway, sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to take too no. much time from you to, but that just, that's kind of where I'm at in my thought process. I, I like to bounce that off of you. Yeah. The, you know, I, I came out of retirement in 2018 from shooting matches and I got really inspired to shoot this concealed carry league match that CCW safe was putting on. Mm. And there was a couple of competitors in there that would, I'd watch them go over to the safe area and they'd put on a, you know, a Glock 34 with a Terran tactical, everything on it and all this stuff after they took their Glock 19 off and parked it in a bag. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is a concealed carry match. It's like, it's supposed to be walk in and pressure test your gear. Mm-hmm. Kind of, that was kind of the spirit of it. Right. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like the original intent of IDPA that got, you know, has gone through many iterations, yeah. <laughs> but it was like, you know, and most of the courses were fairly revolver neutral, um, but there was heavy penalty for inaccuracy, heavy time penalty. Mm-hmm. And so I, I shot one of the end of the series matches and I, I placed pretty good. And they're like, oh man, yeah, you know, these guys over here, this group of dudes over here, uh, man, they're walking in off the street and they're changing their gear out and they're doing all these things. And I went, okay, well, I'm going to come back next year and beat them. And they're like, that's a bold statement. And I said, I've been doing this a while. I know how to train. Like, and what I saw was, okay, I need to make my 80% performance better than them running out running their headlights. Mm-hmm. I need to make my comfort zone be their hundred percent max. And then I never need to waver from that. Mm-hmm. So all through the league, I bet I won like two stages total in the whole league running, maybe three. I don't know, you know, but over like league overall, every match I, you know, I was in the top three or four and I win the overall by a landslide and people are like, and I said, yeah, because I have the consistency to know this is my 80% is going to beat your 100%. And that, I don't mean to sound arrogant about that. It's just I understand how to train to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did it with my carry gear that I would literally walk into the range, shoot it, load my social ammo up and leave. And guys were just like, oh, how do you do that? And I'm like, well, I know what a sub-second draw looks like, but this this has a lot of decision-making and a lot of processing and a lot of critical accuracy. So I need to shoot at a pace that I can do that 100% of the time and not waver from it and still do, you know, draw expeditiously, move from target array to target array expeditiously, um, game it, so to speak, meaning 
I'm going to shoot on the move with accuracy where these guys are moving from point to point and then setting up and shooting. And, you know, and after that, that series, it was like people were picking my brain about it. And I'm like, did draw speed come out to amount to much? No. Did uh, shot to shot split times? No. It was all hinging on accuracy and efficiency. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Yep. That's how I set my training schedule up. Okay. I'm going to shoot two inch dots until I can't stand it. And then I'm going to practice getting into a position. And as soon as my feet clear the box, shooting two inch dots, because I have an eight inch circle to shoot at. So if I can hit those every time we're good. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and what I'm getting at with all of that is pushing your boundaries is awesome. Pushing your performance listen, uh, limits is awesome. But when you step up to the plate in the majors the first time, and probably the only time you're ever going to have to do that in your life, unless you're in the military or something like that, do you want to bank on I'm going to crash and burn? Do I want to even take that risk? Mm -hmm. Or do I want to have this comfort zone to where my 80% of my max is better than anybody else on the block? So, and yeah. to me, the 80% is one and a quarter and 0.35 splits. That's just where I, that's where I kind of live. And even people that are not involved in our industry, when they see that kind of stuff, man, it's intimidating, right? I mean, so as we're trying to mentor new shooters and they go, you know, they go surfing the Instagram and all this stuff and they see all these superhuman performances, it is extremely intimidating. And it's like, you know, that's all cool but you really don't need to get to that level to protect yourself with a firearm. Yeah. Um, you know, you're much better off going and taking a class on situational awareness. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like let's avoid the fight. Um, but if you have to, the level of proficiency that you need versus what I see a lot in the industry of are two separate things. Mm -hmm. And, but that's a, lighting scale too there's no real yeah. way to quantify this is how much you need all the time yep, yep. Uh, right which is a point that we made earlier on in the episode here that like how much how good is good enough it's a question that can't really be answered um but you know like to, to that 1.5 second part time for a draw to first shot that's a pretty widely industry accepted standard at this point i would say uh that because there's numerous examples numerous mm -hmm. hundreds thousands perhaps where that that level of skill is is going to get the job done mm -hmm. now we can also point to examples where faster than that was needed and also point to plenty of examples where slower or draw speed was not a factor at all yeah uh, which you kind of touched on already so you know, it, it, it's uh, yeah. You, you've got to, you've got to make the decision. I think as you, as an individual, you got to know yourself and know what you can do, what you're capable of, and get to a point where it's like, oh, all right, I I have achieved. You know, I've gotten that eighty percent that I needed to get out of whatever skill, because to get that remaining twenty percent is going to require infinitely more work. And that's how it works. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rules, it's known. Uh, it, it, you know, it's relatively easy, I would say, 
in, in the overall scheme of things, it's relatively easy to get to 80% of whatever top level is. But beyond that, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, it's a logarithmic or exponential, you know, growth curve of this much more effort to go this much further on the scale of proficiency. And so we got to make that decision ourselves of where is enough, where, where is, have I hit, have I hit the point where enough is enough for this? And I would add, as long as, and I think there's a caution here and I, I had this, this, you know, we, you saw my comment earlier today on a related post, as long as we're, I think we're not allowing that to create a sense of complacency, like, Oh, I got to this level. I could just chill for a while, meaning like not touch the gun at all and not mm-hmm. practice and keep things sharp. You know, like you need to, if you're there, like you need to remain there. And I think the way we remain there is because I don't believe in static progress. Like you're either going up or you're going down, right? It's always an up or it's a down. It's an up and it's a down as we were working on things, working on skills, improving. And then maybe we don't practice for two weeks. And during that two weeks, yeah, everyone knows when you go to the range cold and you haven't touched a gun in two weeks, you're like, eh, you can't expect that normal, whatever performance is that, that is normal for you. It's going to be degraded somewhat. And so there's no such thing as like holding a skill perfectly static and not doing anything. You're either working on something to improve upon it or you're not. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be a point where it's like, well, if I do 20 minutes a week, it will keep me where I need to be and maybe slightly progressing. Whereas to get to that, it took, you know, X number of hours, like took me two hours per week for six months to even get to that level. But now now that I'm there, it takes, you know, 20% of the effort to keep that 80% uh, skill where, where it needs to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's absolutely accurate. Um, I'll tell you my practice sessions nowadays are very, very pointed and very brief mm-hmm. because all I'm trying to do is just keep those skills honed. And it does not take to maintain that. It does not take as much effort as people think it does. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take as much time, uh, but it does take structure. And that's where a lot of people miss as well. I mean, how many people do we know that go to the range and they, I, I always say, you know, the big blue Smurf target, right? The, the B27 that's painted blue, to, you know, I guess so they don't have to pay royalties on it or whatever. Um, and they, they stick that up and they've got a hundred rounds of ammo, which, you know, is 60 plus dollars now. And plus they've paid range fees and they go out there and they turn money into noise mm-hmm. and they get no feedback from that. They get no. And when I go to the range, I go with 40 rounds, 40. I, I make myself go with just 40 rounds and I say, this is what I'm, this is what I'm going to do. And I do everything cold, everything, because the one commonality in every single gunfight in the continental United States is they're all cold performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. I mean, I, yeah. well, I take that back. There's only one that I can recall and it happened at a national level event i won't go into it but uh it was a police shooting competition where some guys loaded their service guns and went to lunch and got robbed in the parking lot yeah uh, that did not turn out good for the bad guy um didn't didn't even make a blurb on the news you know but 
that was the only time I've ever gone. Yeah, that wasn't a cold performance. Those dudes were tuned up. Uh, un- much to the to the the bad the misfortune of the bad guy. Um, yeah. But but there again, I and I look at okay. Uh, like I wrote that two and a half second standard course. So you saw me pitch out there. Um, I did that. And there's a lot more thought behind that than I think people, they were kind of like, well, what about this? And I'm like, I don't care how you're carrying your gun. I don't care what start position you go from two and a half seconds to accomplish the task. Can you move this from here to here in this time limit? That's, that's it. But if you go into the draw to first shot times and the split times, if you maintain a 1.5 or less draw and you shoot at a 0.35 assessment time speed, it's perfectly achievable regardless of how you're carrying the gun, platform, appendix, outside. You may do it faster from an appendix rig than you do from a strong side rig, but did you still achieve the task? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And there's some challenging marksmanship stuff in there. And that's that good balance of it's 15 rounds. Like, I mix it up. I start from the holster. I start from the gun in my hand, low ready, all these different things if you want to. Um, but it's all the shot times. It's like, it's perfectly achievable. If you will stay in the realm of normal human function. Um, you know, I mean, I can go out there and blaze that course and, and do everything in 1.7, 1.8. Do I achieve the same thing? Yeah. Uh, but cold, that's where the wheels will start to fall off. Yeah cold two and a half for all those tasks golden um and and it's challenging even uh to somebody that's a a higher level shooter but it's also the structure is is was calculated Mm -hmm. and it was to like force you to go i don't care what your draw speed is this part's going to be harder for you okay i know you've got a fat or a slower draw this part the shot times aren't terribly demanding but uh and i equate that a lot to like uh the guy that really got me thinking about that stuff was justin dial the -hmm. five yard roundup Mm -hmm. how can i take 10 rounds and get all this training involved in it and have it be an exercise i can go to the range cold and go "Ooh, yeah that didn't turn out good or that Mm -hmm. did or yeah and cover all these different skills so yeah that's kind of also like it reminds me of uh although it's not quite as well-rounded, but it is a measure of consistent performance. And that is it's uh, uh, Gila Hayes's five by five drill, which Greg Elfritz and I think cloud Warner, I think actually Greg maybe took it from cloud. Uh, but I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Claude that uh, recommended doing that five times back to back to back to back. If you could do that five by five drill five times in a row successfully, like that's, that's great on demand cold performance level stuff. Um, yeah, it's five shots at five yards on a five inch circle. Um, it's not in a five second part time. And I mean, that is an eternity for, you know, a relatively skilled shooter of any sort, uh, to get that done, but doing it five times back to back to back to back, it's easy to somewhere along the way, kind of lose focus a little bit or get a little bit lackadaisical about it mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and, and, and drop some shots. And so uh, again, not as well-rounded as like your drill or Justin dials five yard roundup, but just it's, it's I kind of put it in that same, in a similar category of it's achievable, absolutely achievable uh, for reasonable level performance. 
um, you just, you know, you just got to do it. Um, I want, before we got kind of lost along the way here, there mm-hmm. was one thing I wanted to go back and touch on because you, you, you mentioned something and I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's really good. I think that's a really meaty uh, concept that could, you know, we, we could spend more time on it. We don't have all the time in the world to, to spend on it right now, but I wanted to hit on it. When you were talking about your 80% beating some of those guys is hundred uh, percent, particularly over the course of a match. Uh, it reminded me of some, that's some similar things have been in my mind in relatively recent history. Um, I had some really great conversations with Charlie Perez, who's been on the podcast uh, and, and a few other folks. And some of that is my own realization of watching some of the best in the sport, by that meaning the competitive shooting sports like USPSA and IDPA, and, and watch them perform in major matches. And, you know, a common observation that I've heard other people make even is, well, wow, Rob Latham or Max Michelle or whatever, you know, uh, made that look easy. Didn't look like they were really pressed for time or hurrying or rushing. I mean, they were fast, no doubt, but like – they, they, they made it look, they made it look easy. Right. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason for that is w- w- these top tier guys, they don't go to the matches and shoot at a hundred percent of their max performance for the whole match. Because, w- w- well, you're, it doesn't matter whether it's you or Max Michelle, but your hundred percent is right at that threshold of, I go over a hundred percent wheels are probably going to fall off the, off the, off the bus. If I, you know, I, I can be below that and be within my comfortable operating range. But if I, if I exceed that hundred percent, think I can do something, but I misjudge, uh, that shot's a little bit tighter, more difficult than I thought. I don't have the foot positioning I need, the balance with, you know, like it doesn't take much and you are falling apart when you're riding right at that hundred percent threshold. So for max performance at a match, a major match, a big match, and this could be true, I think, of defensive situations too. Like you don't want to be at 100. percent You want to be comfortably operating at 90 percent, or even 80 percent at times, because yeah. you can do it again and again and again, repeatedly, consistently. And so that that's really opened my mind to, because I, I I I have a hard time not constantly giving it my all with whatever I do especially if it's com- competitive in nature because that that is I'm a competitive person it's like oh yeah let, let's go you know I'm gonna give it 100 percent um and uh and there's times where like it goes awesome right but then there's times where it goes really badly and so when you look at um, I've shot some matches this year where I had stage wins and I had 50 50 to 60 percent stage finishes too all in the same match Mm-hmm. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Some stuff in the middle. Up, down, up, down. But then you look at some of the top guys, and what is it? 85 to 95% with some stage wins, you know, here and there. And just, just. I mean, maybe maybe it, it depends on who else is competing in the field, too. Obviously, when it's Max and and or Rob Latham and there's nobody else that's even close to their level, like it, it's, you know, yeah, they're going to win every stage, whatever. But, but in a big match where multiple top, level guys are they're competing like you look at where they're finishing and it's it's somewhere in that 90 percent range very consistently Mm -hmm. um and that's how they're operating too now maybe when like 
there's times where it's like, hey, I'm a little bit behind and it's going to be risky, but I need to try to make up something here. So it might be a strategy decision to, to push it that little extra bit to try to get back in front. And there's certainly examples, I think, on the defensive side where it's like, hey, this problem can be solved with 90% performance all day long, but maybe this problem over here is not that at all. And like, this is the worst case scenario. And like, I, I have no other choice but to give it my 100%. I have to do a sub-second draw here or I'm toast, right? Like that kind of situation can exist as well. Um, and, and the point is, is I think, and this is part of the decision-making piece, I think too, Brian, and, and we, we need to spend some more time talking about that, is making decisions about how you are, like what level of performance you are giving uh, in a strategic way. You know, if I have a deadly force encounter and I'm able to, in the moment, kind of go, hey, you know what? This is scary. It's bad. But this is well within my, my capabilities. I can handle this. Okay. 90% performance. Let's go. You know, like we could do this. Um, if it's, if it's really, really bad, then it's like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to be dead in the next second anyway, if I don't do X, Y, Z thing. So being able to read the situation and apply yourself correctly, I think is, and I'm, I make, I'm real, I'm saying this as a competitor. This Mm -hmm. is something that I'm seeing in myself in my own failures to become a top level competitor is I make bad judgment of maybe I shouldn't give hundred percent or 95% even effort on a stage because of this, this, and this thing that is high risk and is probably going to fall apart. I just need to be a little bit smarter. So yeah. I don't know. Any, any thoughts about that long monologue I just gave? <laughs> it, it's all the whole purpose of where that, that conversation I was having at dinner came from. Literally everything you're saying on the competition side is exactly what we were talking about on the training defensive side, mm. right? Yep. Uh, Daryl made the statement to me one time. He goes, if I had back every bullet, every round I shot trying to get from a one seven to a one five split, I'd have a garage full of ammo to train with, you know? And I said, yeah, but in that era, that was like what everybody wanted to be able to do. Um, and the matches consequently were structured to do that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, so as all of this stuff has progressed, it's kind of like we're getting the 50,000 foot view of a lot of this, mm. how the competition training defensive side all molds together. And, uh, you know, and, and even the, the law enforcement side, right? We're getting a, a much broader picture of these things, uh, you know, with mass media. I mean, shoot, you can you can read about an officer involved shooting and go watch the video two days, three days later in yeah. the press release. You know, yeah. it's unheard of. Um, and what we're seeing is a lot of the stuff that a lot of the defensive guys were preaching in the 70s. Like, it's it's really weird how what's old kind of is new again. Mm-hmm. with a lot of the concepts. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that is, um, you know, on the competition side, if I can run 80% and just not ever, and not ever place top in a stage and, and I win the overall every single time, Hey, win, win, mm-hmm. right. 
uh, I never had to press the gas, never had to, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you and I, in a conversation, you, you mentioned, uh, a particular stage that some guys kind of had a little side wager going on mm-hmm. and all these top level shooters shot the stage for score in one time. And then when they pressed the gas, it was almost, you know, they shaved like 50% of their time off of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, Hey, that's, there's something to that. Right. Yep. Um, on the, the defensive side, the, the penalties for, for error are so much higher. Oh, no and doubt. so, yeah. you know, the one time I've discharged my gun on duty, the first question I got asked was, Hey, are you all right? Yep. Okay. Hey, what was behind what you were shooting at? Like, yeah, huh? Cause, cause your guys want to know so they can go check. Exactly. Did anybody else get hurt? Right. And, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a rib. It wasn't a needle. It was like, okay. And then, you know, it was a dog shooting. I mean, it was a pretty intense situation, but still at the same time, it was like, I had processed, okay, when this occurs, this is where I'm going to start shooting because there's a house here. There's a gas meter. There's all these other things that can be a real, and there's a long alley here that there's nobody in. And I know at the trajectory that I'm shooting all those things were processed up here before the first shot went off. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I can't, I can't recreate that for you on a flat range. What I can do is give you a skill set to where, when you're running the gun on almost autopilot, and I mean, autopilot on the fundamental side, like you're making the gun go off when you want it to go off and to free up the processing speed of what are all these other external factors. Right. So, yeah. So there gets to be a real disconnect there when people are, well, I got a sub second draw to first shot. Okay. Well, let's back the bus up. What's behind the target ballistic berm. It's not going to be there. Uh, There might be a car. There might be a kid in a stroller. Mm -hmm. Like let's put some context to some of these things. So the actual execution of those fundamental tasks and those, uh, you know, those high level skill sets, It's all excellent. It's all great stuff, but where, and and I see this in the training industry all the time where the backdrop falls or the, um, the context of a lot of that stuff falls is getting lost. Mm -hmm. And, and that bothers me, you know, especially being a trainer where I'm like, you know, I live in the realm of this, but am I, I, I think we're in a place though, where performance shooting, Mm-hmm. High performance shooting it is has become it's like there are people today out there like that's that is their pursuit mm-hmm. right it's all about where can I shave not even tenths but like hundreds of seconds off of things uh, you know because that's their jam that's what floats their boat that's what you know where they get uh, that's what excites them you know so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that we're at a place where that, that has become widespread, you know, uh, more than it ever has been. I mean, we, we have social media has responsibility for that, obviously. I mean, the, the fact that people can put themselves out there and be like, Hey, look what I can do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that, that's, that's an exciting thing to be able to demonstrate a high level of skill with, with a gun. Uh, but it is just that it is high performance shooting and not really anything else in a practical sense. I mean, some of those skills can be applied practically. Mm-hmm. But my, again, my point is there are people out there like that is, that's their jam. 
is yeah. about being the fastest guy on Instagram. Hey, yeah, that, that rhymed pretty good. I'm I'm going to call I I think I'm going to title my next when when I retire I'm I'm compiling a book of like 4 and 8 hour classes and they're constantly a work in progress right I think um I think I'm going to title one practical performance thinking uh <laughs> instead of shooting mm-hmm. uh and that's not a knock at any any mm-hmm. anything but uh is how do we bridge some of that barrier between where does the rubber meet the road with practical shooting and defensive shooting. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing I see where they really conflict is like you said, in goals, what am I trying to achieve here? You mm-hmm. know, am I trying to achieve it because it's going to help me win a match or uh, you know, or is that freeing up my mind to think about other things and how do I simulate other things like, um, so, and let's, let's face it. I mean, I would not want to be on the other side of Jerry Mitchell's gun or Rob Latham's gun ever like period, like, yeah. you know, uh, any more so than I would want to get. And I I'll throw Cecil's name out there. Cecil and I had a conversation about this, you know, he was, he and I were talking about this very thing, you know? And I said, man, I say, if you got your mitts on me, there ain't a sub-second draw in the world that will save me from what's coming. I'm mm-hmm. like, please just tell me what you're going to do so I can mentally prepare for the lights going out. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, just ask me before you choke me out. Uh, uh, cool, right? You know. And uh, he said, for context for people that may not know, Cecil oh, yeah. Birch, right? Yeah, Cecil Birch is who is a fabulous instructor um in practice what i would call like he's the most probably one of the most well-rounded martial arts guys i've ever met and he's a great shooter too uh but he's like yeah but you know if you got away from me and we went gun on gun it would be you know i'd I'd, I'd hand that one to you and i go okay you know i don't want to get in a, a boxing match with a professional boxer and, uh, and I had this conversation with a couple other people that have been on my podcast and they're like, you know, any opportunity you get to, you know, challenge somebody's lack of skill to play in your favor, mm-hmm. that's the route to pick. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't say the example that Rob Vadis used, but or Rob Latham used, but it's uh-huh. like, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to challenge Lance Armstrong to a bike race. Right. Yep. Performance you know? enhancing drugs or not. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, mean, I ride a bike for a living. I'm not in any danger of competing in the tour de France, but that 80% is a good comfortable level for me. Like, okay, well I can go stay fit and I can stay functional. I can do all these things. Uh, I have a healthy understanding of it, a practical mastery of that task set. Um, I understand how to achieve different goals and all these things, but I'm not in any jeopardy of going on a pro tour, right? Like that, mm-hmm. that ship has sailed. Like, um, <laughs> And that's where we get lost between defensive shooters and uh, practical performance type stuff. Yeah, it's like, okay, you guys are you guys are the race car drivers. You're the Formula One, right? Uh, Formula One crashes a lot. <laughs> I just want to be able to drive to work, man. Like, and get there safely. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. So, gosh. Yeah. I'm- coming up with all kinds of examples that are just falling out. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, so that, that kind of brings up a, another 
interesting angle to all of this. And uh, it came up in, again, a discussion from earlier today on a Facebook post. And kind of something I, ha I had to say about that is, you know, things don't have to be mutually exclusive, right? Uh, and, and so kind of to build on what you were just saying there a moment ago is, there, there, there is this attitude a lot of times between the defensive community and the competitive community or the defense community and the high performance community that is sort of like, well, you could be this or you can be that, but you can't really be, you know, like it, people don't come out and say it. Like they don't come out and say you can't be both, but that's by the way they argue things. That's sort of what's being implied. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily true. Uh, you can have a smart, head on, you know, about yourself. You can have good uh, awareness and mindset and all these things. You can have good decision-making skills. Heck, you could have been through a hundred iterations, revolutions of force-on-force -force scenarios, uh, but you can also be a high-performance shooter, right? Now, that is a rare package, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, but it is something that can be pursued if it's important enough to someone. Now, where I'm at, just use, and, and I said some things earlier that kind of were almost a dig against myself. I mean, like I was talking about high performance shooters and you know doing stuff for the gram and stuff. Like I put stuff out there. I show examples of shooting fast and drawing fast, and um, because I, I don't know, I I get a thrill out of it. I think it's fun. Uh, I will say that what started me on this path several years ago was I wanted to get to a place where I could operate and shoot my gun at a subconscious level. Mm -hmm. I think I could, I could definitely say at this point, I can shoot and run my gun on a subconscious level. I've, I've, I've passed that point. Mm -hmm. um, I keep pushing myself though, because I got to a place where I was like, this is fun. And I now have other goals of like, I want to be top tier. In yeah. You're level. in that 20% realm. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. You know, I, I'm at the place where I'm pretty dang good. But when I show up at a match that Max Michelle is shooting, he still beats me by 20%. And it's like, dang, you know, like, yeah. oh, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's going to take a lot more work to still, you know, and I'm chiseling away at that. But, uh, and, and I'll, I'll say that I know my shooting performance and the most recent match I shot where he was in attendance was overall better than the previous time I shot against him, but my mistakes were more of a strategic or, you know, decision-making level, not, not necessarily like what I could do shooting wise, I think has improved immensely, but I could have been smarter in my approach. So anyway, enough about that. Um, my point here being though, that uh, I just wanted to ask you about this, uh, this concept of the mutual exclusivity. I mean, it, I, I just see so many arguments online where this seems to be the thing where it's like this or that, which right. side are you on? Well, I'll put it, you know, it, when it comes to training, yeah. you know, I look at Dave Harrington broke that mold for me. He's like, are you training or you're practicing? Because mm -hmm. you need to train to learn a new skill. You need to practice that skill. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are in perpetual training mode. Like, well, at some point you got to practice it. Right. Um, and then I kind of look at it like this. I'm like, 
you know, the, the world right now, the, the U S is full of top level instructors, top flight, better than I've ever seen it. Yeah. Um, I'm in no danger of running night vision and a suppressed rifle. So I don't do it anymore. Like, like that's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, some people want to go train with those people. That's, that's awesome. But that ain't me. That's not what I do. And if I do something like that, it's like, well, okay, I just want to satisfy my curiosity and see what the technology progression has been and, and implementation methods and all these things. Um, I'm in no danger of going to a USPSA sectional or regional match. So is going and taking a stage planning class. Is that in my wheelhouse anymore? No, not really. Um, You know, the older I get, I, I, I look at, man, maybe I need to get like some pepper spray and some, you know, maybe I need to go, I need to call up my bro Cecil and go, Hey, let, let, let me, get me, get me tuned up here on, on the, the empty hand stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can pick and choose. And one of the things I see this very endemic in the, in the, the training populace is we grab onto a cult of personality. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that like derogatory. I mean, Oh, well, you know, this person, this is the way. And I go, well, okay. They have a great thing. Like, yeah, they have a great setup for that. But is that you, is that what your goal is? Is that what you're looking for? Um, and I, I equated a lot to the martial arts industry. You know, when the UFC started, we had karate versus judo. We had wrestling versus this we had. And now what do we have? mixed martial arts. We have these guys that are well-rounded at everything. Some might be a little better at this than that. Um, but they know a lot about a lot instead, a lot about one particular discipline. Right. Uh, so I, I look at the, the gun is no different. The gun is literally no different than that. It is a martial art. Well, are you, are you going for speed? Are you going for accuracy? Are you going for performance on demand? Are you going for defense? Da, da, da. Figure out what your goal is and don't get so locked in and attached to one particular person or training method or that, that that's all you understand and that's all you can do. You know, think yeah. of it as a mixed martial art. Okay. Draw. That's one skill set for, you know, draw to first shots, one skill set. Reloads are one skill set. If I can't get past pressing the trigger without moving the gun, all those skill sets are for not, right? (laughs) If I can't hit what I'm shooting at, it's pointless. So before you stack on one skill set, go like determine what will make you Mm well-rounded. That like, and I think that's where we could, we could bridge the gap between performance shooting and defensive shooting a lot, mm-hmm. you know, a, a whole lot. I think if people would look at it more of uh, from the mixed martial arts perspective, than just the pure marksmanship, pure performance, pure this, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, 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 that's a great point. Uh, I, the well, the more well-rounded we are and the greater, um, the more well-rounded we are, it's because we have a greater, uh, a broader level of experience and perspective. And that's hugely valuable. 
Uh, I, I've trained with a number of the world's top defensive trainers as well as competitive shooting trainers. And, you know, just, there's guys I've trained with that would say stuff that other guys I've trained with would totally not agree with. Be like, no, nah, I don't see it like that at all, and vice versa. Um, and other guys would be kind of somewhere in the middle or would kind of try to bridge those those ideas. So, but what that does for an individual training with a bunch of different attitudes and perspectives and curriculums and people is that you can kind of start to see more of the whole. And because there is a lot more out there in this world than what we think we know. And I mean, the more we know, the more we realize we don't know. Right. Uh, As some similar sayings go, uh, Right now, I've been working my way through some of the, I'll call them classical works of shooting or, yeah, mostly shooting-related books. Like right now, I'm working on uh, Fitzgerald's uh, shooting book that's just called Shooting. Uh, I mean, stuff from like almost 100 years ago and the way they thought and approached things. And I mean, it was Dave Spaulding that inspired me. He's like, you know, bro, read some of the classic works. Uh, broaden your mind. It was like, yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, it was something I, I was aware of some of that and thought, yeah, one day it'd be nice to read some of those things. Yeah. But it, you know, I, I, I've read some things in some old books in recent history that I'm like, oh, wow. Like, wow. Like that, that still applies today. I've also read some things. It's like, Ooh, that doesn't work at all. We, we know that doesn't work, but you can see why. Mm-hmm. They thought that or believed that or taught that back then. And there's a context of why that was the way they did things then. And it could be because the equipment was totally different. It could be because, you know, tactics were totally different. The problems were different as far as, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, I just It's a different world now than it was 80 years ago. So, like, and it just forms this broader level of, of frame, a frame of reference for you to then apply your current paradigm and you know to and go okay now i like it just helps you understand and progress in your knowledge and skill even more yeah daryl <laughs> daryl bulky made the statement on my podcast the two greatest advancements we've had in the firearms training realm are sighting systems and lights yeah that, that's and i gotta say the more i dig into Bill Jordan and Boots Askins and you know Fitzgerald and people like that. That's yeah. that's a pretty accurate statement. Um, yeah. So well, why did they do so much point shooting back in the day? Because well, see the guns they were shooting. Did you well, see the lack of sights? Pre, <laughs> did you see that pre-war. they were working in dark alleys and couldn't see what they were looking at anyway half the time. <laughs> yeah, pre pre war Smith and Wessons. If the hammer was down. You couldn't see the sights. The hammer spur blocked them, you know? Well, they developed whole shooting methods around that. Does that mean that we don't need to use sights now? No. Right. <laughs> it's like, come on, like a lot of this. And and I see a lot of carryovers, man. That's the other thing I struggle with when I go to a class is I see some carryovers of stuff that I'm like, really? And, and I mean, I'm not dogging on any anybody. Right. It's just... I'm like, uh, I thought we already, like, I thought 
you know, Colonel Askins kind of settled that argument. Can we move past the last hundred years or, you know what I'm saying? Like there, there's things like that that still come up that I, I just, I like beat my head against the wall going, Oh no. Um, But there again, there was purpose behind it. And if that's all, you know, that's all, you know, so. um, Again, like understanding and realizing the why behind some things and oh that's why they taught that 80 years ago oh like you know like that in of itself can answer questions and things that people still debate today and it's like uh, that it's it's like the classic uh uh, pistol you know shooting diagnostic chart right (laughs) that you go in any facebook group and some dude posts up a target you know and he hits where you know he's got it looks like he shot with uh shot the target with a, a 12 gauge buckshot Hey guys, you know, what could I do better? And inevitably within two minutes of a post going up like that, somebody posts the diagnostic chart or target. Yeah. You know, like, Hey, you know, like this, this should help you. And it's like, number one, a lot of times that stuff gets shared and, you know, kind of willy nilly and, and, and doesn't really do anything to help the person because especially when their hits are all over, well, we're not seeing any consistency here. So that doesn't help. But secondly, it's like, well, that chart wasn't really designed for seven yard two-handed semi-automatic shooting that's more like you know 25 yard bullseye one-handed you know back in the day i mean sure there could be some things to it and you could say that when you're trying to hit x rings at 50 yards yeah some of that little little stuff like very very minute inputs into the gun from your grip of your hand. Most of it's grip most of the time, right? Yeah. Some of it can be trigger, especially when, again, we're going high, high, high levels of precision. But when we're talking about, I need to drill a five inch or six inch target representative of the high center chest on a average size male at three to 10 yards. Like where you put your finger on the trigger. I'm sorry. It does not matter. Right. To get that job done. Right. I uh, I have a, I have a, a friend in law enforcement, especially with newer instructors. It's, it's a, it's a whirlwind of everything starts at the trigger and is wrong from there. And I'm like, nah, no, no, yeah. as you mature, you'll start to see all these other things. And, and I'm having like this argument with a guy and I'm like, I'm like, look, I'm not trying to argue with him. I'm just saying like, I can go out there with a timer and whack a piece of steel you know, an eight inch plate at 50 yards in a quarter of a second, every single time the timer goes off, it ain't the trigger. All right. <laughs> like, um, and so we have a, a, another mutual acquaintance that's, he's a high level bullseye shooter. Um, and I said, I said, when you're shooting bullseye, I said, what do you focus on? He goes, my grip, my stance, my position. I said, where does trigger control fall into that? And he goes, you mean making the gun go off when I want it to whatever. <laughs> and I look over and he's like, I'm like, I, it, it, I'm not a bullseye shooter, but uh, that makes pretty. And he's like, yeah, there's like 8,000 things I think of before when the gun's going to go off. And, you know, that's like, oh, hey, the sites are where they're at. Bow. It just happens, you know. But mm-hmm. um, so it, it's it's funny how these things, they cycle and cycle and cycle and cycle. And, you know, uh, I think we as an industry have finally shook off the pin, the trigger thing. Mm. 
and we were fighting that up until like last year. Like everybody was. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, it's and everything. DB and I did a podcast called "Everything Old Is New, Is New Again," and he goes into the historical context of. He's like, oh yeah, you know these new B8 targets everybody's shooting on. I got a picture of Boots Askins in 1920, like four, with the Border Patrol Colt target mm-hmm. and a B8 part posted high center chest. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, yeah, it's so new. <laughs> um, you know, and so much of this stuff gets taken out of context, and and we lose sight of that. And I lo- I love Dave talking to Dave and and uh, you know talking to DB, and you start hearing guys that are kind of in the top of like this generation that's kind of going into retirement and they're just like at wits end with all of it. Like, Hey, look, we're not doing anything. We're not reinventing the wheel here. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not the OSS in 1942 having to try to figure this stuff out. It's already been pretty well figured out. Um, but everybody takes one little piece of it and spends it. That's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I didn't mean to do a shameless plug, but if you happen to be listening and subscribe to the Off Duty On oh, Duty podcast, yeah. that's a great one. Um, it's one of the yeah, one of my you're, favorites. You're part of the family, bro. It's part of the network. Yeah, uh, yeah. All, all good thoughts there, man. Um, let, let's kind of circle back to where where we started, and really what the topic of this uh, episode is uh, mainly about. And all, this is all really good stuff to explore and could be additional fodder for future episodes as well. But, um, sub-second draw, um, I'm going to kind of throw out, I'll just say this is the beginning of my final, I guess, word on the subject. Uh, but, but the final kind of one of the final things I'm going to throw out there is that for me, uh, well, first of all, I get satisfaction. I kind of touched on this a little bit. I get satisfaction from just pushing myself and seeing what I can do. Right. So I'm always pushing that. I wanted to just mention and tie back to what I said earlier about maintaining skill. Um, that, uh, for me to get to a sub second draw, I would say that it had less to do with technique because a lot of times people get hung up in technique uh, and thinking there's just something else I got to fix to, to achieve this standard, but it had more to do with me believing that I could do it and actually letting go a little bit, meaning that stop, you know, like caring less about where my hits were on target and just proving to myself, I could actually move my body and my hands and my arms and the trigger finger and everything. And of course, in the proper sequence and doing it safely that I could do that. In under a second, that was honestly the probably the biggest thing for me in that in that battle, if you will, of just hey, wow, I can actually draw my gun and fire a shot in 0.91. Okay, well now let's see if I can do that and see my sights and get a decent hit. You know that that required a little bit more work, but a lot of the battle was just realizing and believing I could do it. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Sometimes I think we get hung up on, it's so hard to reach some of these standards. And I think for some people it is, because I think we all have our own personal demons, if you will, and like mental blocks and maybe even physical blocks or handicaps too. But but 
for most people I've worked with as shooters, it's not that hard to get them down to physically being able to move and draw a gun and shoot in a second or less. At, beyond that, it becomes more about what can we visually see and process so that we can do that soon enough to actually get decent hits. That takes a little bit more work. But anyway, once we get to, to that level, so kind of with where I'm at right now, um, I do probably 30 to 50 practice draws every day, like religiously. And by the way, that's not a dedicated, like, well, it's my dry fire dojo time. It's uh, 6.30 a.m. I'm going to, all right, got to go do the work, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes or whatever it is. It's more like, you know, I've been sitting at the computer. And I, Grant, I had the advantage of working from home. Um, but, you know, I'm, I've been sitting at the computer a while. Um, all right, uh, let's grab a practice gun. Let's grab a cert pistol or I'll take my gun, unload it, put my ammo away, go somewhere safe. And I could just quickly do 10 reps, you know, and, and move about my day, right? That's enough of a break from, you know, doing emails or whatever or planning for the Guardian Conference. So my, my point is, is like, um, it doesn't have to be, you, it's not like if we're pursuing this high, high standard that we have to be doing a lot of, or, or giving up a lot of time that could be employed elsewhere. Um, it doesn't have to take a lot of time, I guess what I'm trying to say, at least to keep things sharp, especially once we get to that level. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to kind of mention that, like, there's some discussion like, well, that's 10 extra minutes a day I could have been doing this or that with. Uh, we all have time we kind of like waste here and there. And when you become passionate enough about something like I have, it's like, I'll just take one minute right now and go do 10 draws and then move about my day. And, and two hours later, it's like, oh, go, you know, and it just sort of happens. Like I, I, it's organic in my world. It's not something that's planned. It's not set on a timer. It just, I'm like, eh, do some draws. And then, and, and why I do a lot of draws, here, here's the truth about that, is because it's the one thing I can always practice all the time where I am. Like I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't practice some certain other things as readily or as easily. So it's like, yeah, do a draw, like whatever. Um, so it's easy to do. I can fit it into my life in a simple, organic, non-disruptive manner. Uh, and it keeps things sharp. And, it, and that's what that's, it's that consistent amount of daily reps that keeps me where I am. Now, not everybody is able to do that. So that's where this this podcast is for you to go, what, what can I do? What am I capable of? What time availability do I have? Uh, and how am I dividing up my, my resources and prioritizing them to achieve the goals I need to achieve? And all while not overlooking other important things. And that's one of the reasons why at the Guardian Conference, we don't just, I mean, yes, we have a lot of shooting classes. And we have a lot of shooting classes because that's honestly, that's what people, that's what people want to do. That's the, that's the reality of it. But we also have low light classes, OC spray, legal classes, uh, empty hand, hand to hand combatives, blah, blah, blah. Okay. We've, I mean, it's, we will have some seminars and lectures that will be more based on mindset and things like that. So 
please understand that, yeah, there'll be a lot of shooting and we're going to have a great time, but there's a lot of opportunities for people to make, to zero in on maybe some other skills that maybe have been not focused on as much, or they haven't had the opportunities of attending high, high level training in those other disciplines. Anyway, that's all I got to say about that. Cool, man. So what's, what's (laughs) kind of your final words? My final words, who are you? That would be the question I would pose. Uh, reason being, and and my and I know that sounds like that's like the, uh, the the number one question of life. Who am I? Figure out who you are in the defensive realm, right? I mean, self evaluate. I would love to. I, maybe someday I'll come up with this chart that says, uh, "Do you believe this? Yes. Okay. Go to block B." drop down. Okay. Are you this, is this your daily life? Um, I talked to some friends in mine in the industry that that's exactly what they're doing right now, uh, to try to get more engagement with people at the entry level of defensive handgunning mind mindset, all these things. So if you do a little introspective, you know, like I'll give you mine. Okay. I'm a policeman. I have two other, three other outside ventures away from police work, right? I got a podcast, I got a belt company and I got a a training company, right? So I have to balance all of that and maintain my skill set. So, you know, do I benefit from going and taking a high level USPSA shooting class? Yeah. I mean, I'll benefit from it, but is that who I am right now? No. Now that may be I retire and I move into another phase of life and I go, I'm going to read, I'm going to chase this for, but identify who you are and what your goals are and work from there. And if you work that backwards instead of, okay, well, I'm going to go take this, I'm going to go f- do this. Uh, you know, I'm going to go get an M4 carbine that looks just like the one and, and spray paint it and mount this optic on it. And I'm going to, you know, get some night vision and all. I go, oh, okay, why, who are you? Like, mm-hmm. like is, are you, you just curious and you want to explore that and it's fun and it's neat and it's exciting. Cool. Go do that. Yeah. But for me, I, I am a police officer, number one. So I need to be proficient with all those skill sets. Uh, after 20 years, yeah, I'm pretty proficient with most <laughs> most of them, right? And the number one skill set that has saved my bacon uh, monumentally more times than anything else is between the two ears. Mm-hmm. And that's and that takes a long time to develop and to be, develop the ability to have conversational skills that will talk you out of getting into a confrontation, even though you know the desired outcome is not something the other participant wants. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of who I am in a box, right? And I have to fit training and practice and all these other things in there and balance having some kind of life. You know, I, I joked with my business partner, I had three days off this month. That's awesome. But if you don't determine who you are before you step into this venture, you spend a lot of time with boxes full of holsters weekends full of training that are not applicable or not useful. Um, you know, guns that set in a gun safe, uh, that are of no, no use, uh, flashlights that, oh, I tried that. It didn't work. Uh, 
you know, you get the goodie box. Every, every guy that's been in this community for any length of time, if they haven't identified what's my mission, who am I? You get the goodie box and it gets full of stuff and uh, thousands of dollars wasted. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so if you'll ask yourself, that's kind of my thing is like a, my new mission is like, ask yourself, who am I? Where do I fit into this? And uh, that'll, that'll make things a lot easier, I think, on people. Um, yeah. Really what you're suggesting is ask yourself the question, what is your mission? Right. Right. Uh, what drives you? What's, what's most important to, in your, to you in your life? Uh, figure, that, figure that crap out. And then yeah. prioritize your life around that. If it is becoming the fastest man alive, drawing and putting around on target, uh, great. You know, like knock yourself out. You you know you'll you have a lot of work ahead of you to get to that point. That's great. Um, but I think part of what you're suggesting, Brian, with who am I, identifying that and answering that question is being honest in the answer. And by that, it's not, well, I'm really passionate about um, becoming, you know, about being a better self-defense-minded person, uh, you know, about being a better defensive fighter with a gun, whatever it is. But then all you do to support that is, like, you go and shoot IDPA matches. And you've convinced yourself, like, that's my training to be the best, you know, at the defensive fight as I can be. Well, that's, that's not being honest with yourself. I think that's a lot. It, it's a subtle sort of hidden message. I think in this episode today is like identifying the, your priorities and then actually doing the things that accomplish those priorities and being honest with yourself about that. 100%. So, yeah. Cool. I like where I like where we've gone, gone, and where we've come to. Yeah, so now I'm going to go practice my sub second draw. So if you'll excuse me, <laughs> I got to do about 50 reps. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I can tell you before the night is out, I probably will have done at least 30 more. Perfect. Because, <laughs> like I said, man, like night evenings get a lot. Like it, it's like, all right, just got the kids tucked to bed. I'm, you know. You know, a little bit overwhelmed with the, the busyness and craziness of getting all the kids in bed and everything, getting them ready for school the next day and need, need, need a chance to check out for a minute. All right. Step aside to my dry fire dojo, do five minutes. All right, cool. Go back to the living room, hang out with the missus an hour or two later, you know, hey, step aside. I, I, I just I'm constantly practicing, dude. So, but I'm fortunate to be able to do that. Not everyone is. And I understand that. And you, good luck catching me, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hey, I'll be honest with you. I draw at least twice a day. That's good. Before I walk out the door and I'm usually in and out two or three times before I do it, just make sure my clothes and everything are working. Um, I think that's so, so, so wise of you as a law enforcement officer. uh, and, And I wish more officers actually did something similar as far as like, Hey, if you got to use that gun on duty today to save your life or someone else, I hope it's not the first time you're drawing that day. 
yeah, I, I go back to work bright and early tomorrow and uh, I put my duty rig on. And uh, before I walk out the door, it's, you know, it's five, 10, 10 draws, yeah. double check everything, uh, you know, make sure. Awesome. That, yeah. Get all it, that stuff in order. You know? It's a great opportunity to, to do an equipment check, right? Like making sure you're actually loaded up and that stuff is in proper order, uh, you know, like, because if you're going to do those dry reps, okay, check the gun, unload, everything looks good, inspect my ammo, ammo looks good, set everything aside, check gun, cycle's good, trigger's working, if you have a safety, safety's working, blah, 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 holster, some dry, dry, fi- dry fire draws, all right, looks good, I feel good, load back up, back and holster, out the door you go. Like that, when I was doing law enforcement work, I, I did that every time before I went on shift. It was that, that, that it was an equipment check, ammo check, skills check, load up and away we go. Yeah. So I'm glad the, to hear you do that, brother. The the neighbors hate the pepper spray check. No, I'm, I'm totally <laughs> kidding, by the way. Yeah. Totally kidding. But, but, uh, but I have had that happen. I went to deploy it one time and it went, and I went, oh, oh man. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, man. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate you doing this episode with me, guys. One one more time, where you can find Brian is the Off Duty On Duty Podcast. What is the actual? What's the website domain? I, I always forget. It's offdutyonduty.com. Offdutyonduty.com. See, I can't remember if it's offdutyondutypodcast.com or mine is a podcast. Yeah. So, guys, go check out Off Duty On Duty Podcast. Uh, check out EDC Belt Company. EDCBeltCo.com is a website, right? Yeah, And again, you can find the product at uh, concealedcarry.com forward slash foundation belt. I think I said foundation earlier. I think it works, but foundation belt I know for sure works. And then the uh, 2021 Guardian Conference, guardianconference.com. So guys, that's a wrap, a little bit longer episode, but uh, I appreciate the conversation, Brian. It's been a great time. Thanks. Appreciate it. So with that, we'll sign on out of here. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.